Earlier this year, I spoke to someone who has won three Rugby World Cups. 2011, 2015 and 2021. Wayne Smith. And just before we spoke to him, he had another honour bestowed on him. Coach of the Year at the 2023 Helberg Awards. Congratulations. That must have been a really lovely night. Yeah, like it was a great night to be back with a lot of the girls. You know, I hadn't seen them since the final. Um, we went through a hell of an adventure together. So it's good to see them in their, you know, all dressed up in their ball gowns and having a few champagnes together. We were going to do this chronologically, but let's just jump into that final last year. How much of an achievement was it to uh, to win that final against England? Um. Yeah, I guess you have to go back to the start of the season um, because I was as surprised as anyone else that I was actually became the coach, <laughs> the head coach of the team. Like I was, um, I'd really just offered my services to help the coaches who were mates of mine, help them on the field a wee bit if they needed a hand during the year. And then, um, yeah, uh, a mental health review, um, which was created through like a, a social media post from from one of the players, um, created a report, I guess, on on the state of the team and the and the um, some of the mental health issues. Yeah, I don't want to comment on that. Other than um, the coaches ended up resigning. Um, the the leadership and culture guy resigned and I was left in the middle two days after I'd applied for a pension. <laughs> so um, no, no, no one was more surprised than me or the government probably. <laughs> so um, that was, that was my new task was to, was to um, yeah, head a team that I knew nothing about. I hadn't really been watching um, a lot of the games. So I had to, catch up on the previous year's tour and I think if, if I'm honest um, I don't reckon anyone really thought we had a chance of winning that World Cup you know that the, the difference was um, huge on the, on the end of year tour um, we all bought into a, a game that was um, risky but exciting a really attacking game thinking that we had nothing to lose and we had a lot to win. Um, but, you know, we painted that picture right from the start that we were going to win the World Cup in front of 40,000 at Eden Park. Now, I don't know how many believe that, but hmm. that was something that kept us motivated right through the season. And, you know, sometimes these things come true. Yeah, and I imagine when you are clearly the best team in the world, your job as a coach is a matter of enabling and just making sure nothing gets in people's way. But but you must really come into your own when you've got a team that, that probably on paper is second best and needs some special kind of instruction or inspiration in order to come out on top. Yeah, um, like it was, it was probably a bit simpler than what everyone expects. So the, the first thing was that, you know, rugby's a game and games are supposed to be fun. So the very first thing we decided to do was have fun. And so we put a program in place. You know, we had club nights on a Tuesday night. Everyone had to wear their club jersey. Then we would theme it. it might be a Polynesian night. 
we had skits, we ran raffle tickets like you'd run at a at a club. <laughs> um, we had guest speakers come in, we showed videos, we did our awards, had our awards for our attack and our defence, and and also um, the an award for someone who'd gone above and beyond during the week. You know, it didn't have to be a player; it could have been the staff. It was often a staff member, and so we designed. Yeah, our whole week, we changed our week and we designed it so that we could interact, have fun, create huge social capital by sharing our pasts, who we are, where we've come from, what we're trying to achieve, sharing it with the whole team so that everyone got to know each other and, and intimately. And I think that's the start of any team. That's, I've, I've always been in teams that have done that and it's been a crucial part of of getting satisfaction, I suppose, whatever that is, you know, winning, winning, satisfying, but sometimes just competing well is satisfying as well. So, yeah, that, that's how we set about it. And I was really determined to play a hugely attacking game so that, um, you know, so, and, and build the courage in the women, I guess, to, to use the attack even under the greatest pressure. Mm. The difficulty was that we got to a point where they were seeing the attacking opportunity in every situation so much that in the end it almost cost us. <laughs> we, we, we should just kick that, should just kick that last penalty out, really. Um, but one of the girls called for it to be tapped and run, and then we got turned over. Penalty to England down in the corner, and that could have been the World Cup. But you know, yeah, yeah, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and so I was. I was um, yeah, you know, I was happy to accept that if that, that had been the result because the girls showed real ability to change the game and play that under the biggest pressure. Yeah. How was that final line-out steal? Yeah. Um, old heart was going a bit because <laughs> like Whitney, Whitney Hanson and Mike Cron had done a lot of work during the week on the English line-out and they had some cues that... We we basically could read where the ball was going, but under pressure, it's hard to it's hard yeah. to read them. You know, it's 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 not that easy. And so, coming up that last line out, we were up in the coaching box and we were giving the message down to the crew on the ground. We've got to go up. Someone's got to go up here. You know, we've got, we've got no other option. And luckily, Jonah, who's who's a very smart, very smart woman, very smart player. Um, she, I think, just saw an imperceptible nod of the head from Abby Ward, the the English jumper. Wow! A little nod, nod of the head to the hooker. Realised that's where the um, where the ball was going, and you know the rest is history. She, she organised the jump well. She had lifters. Crystal Murray took the tap down, and um, yeah, and we won a game that probably England would have expected to win at that point. Yeah. Where does it rank for you, Wayne, that moment? Yeah, the, the moment um, obviously ranks highly. wasn't as nerve-wracking maybe as 2-11 when I was sitting next to Ted and uh, playing, playing France in the final of the Men's World Cup. Yeah, same stadium. I had to move. Yeah, same stadium. I had the same box. I had to move to the back of the box <laughs> by the water cooler because he was bruising my ribs with his elbows. <laughs> As he was swinging, <laughs> swinging his arms in the box, uh, 
that that was different because it was eight years of yeah. sacrifice of the family sacrificing of us sacrificing everything losing in 2007 getting another chance not being very popular from 27 to 211 um and then finally winning in 211 so that yeah it was totally different you might have a different perspective on this, but you probably did all right post-2007. When I think of the uh, the public trials of John Hart and John Mitchell following some of their Rugby World Cup losses, it seemed like people were a bit more positive about you sticking around and having another go at it. Um, well, I was living in Canterbury. <laughs> I had 30, 33 years in Canterbury played all my rugby for Canterbury coached the Crusaders um, but it's fair to say Robbie Deans was the favourite down there and um, right. you know he was the other candidate for that to coach the team from 2008 on um, there's a fair bit of yeah. negativity I would say in Canterbury um, against us being given the job again and probably rightfully so but and it, and it created, um, yeah, it created a bit of stress for a few years. But you know, when you look back at that, we played 103 test matches from 2004 to 2011, and we won 89 of them. But we weren't any good really until we won that final against France. You know, so that was the mm-hmm. that was the pressure that was on us. Why do you think you've got that statistic in your head? Um, which statistic? Uh, 107 games. 100, 103 games. 103. Yeah, 103. Um, just because we had a lot of success along the way, but I think things like Bledisloe Cup, Tri-Nations, Grand Slams, Tests up in Northern Hemisphere had become a bit irrelevant for, not, I'm not so sure about the public, but certainly the media, that it was all around World Cup. You haven't won a World Cup. We haven't won a World Cup since 87. Mm. Your, your failures, your, you can't handle the pressure. And so often the, the, other, the other victories never seem to count, but they did for us. Like every game, every test that you're with the All Blacks counts for us. Yeah. Uh, it's a massive part of your life. But you're highly reviewed. You, you're, you're more reviewed probably than the Prime Minister. Huh. Um, you're probably more disliked than the Prime Minister when you lose. And so, you know, it's a high-profile job under a lot of pressure. Did it thicken your skin up? Yeah, look, um, yeah. I think as you go through your career, um, you learn to be able to take the pressure. Um, you know, as a, as a player, um, I played for the All Blacks. There's, there's a lot of pressure there. But you feel, as a player, you feel more in control of things and um, more able to influence the result. When you're a coach, your work's done by game time, basically. You get a half time to try and maybe fix a couple of things up, but that, that's mm. about it. So it's it's more difficult, um, but you've also got probably more responsibility than the players. So it's a, a bit of an enigma, really. So for me, yeah, like I, I was a young all-black coach when I started in 2000. Um, essentially, I got the sack at, at the end of 2001, um, there was an argument about that, whether it was a sack or whether, <laughs> whether my contract ended. But to me, it was a sack. Yeah. Um, went, went to Northampton, loved it, um, had three years there. Got a phone call from 
from Graham Henry in 2004 as he was applying for the All Black job and asked if I would come back. My wife heard the conversation on the phone, came running up the stairs, and you can't see me, but I'm I'm holding a knife against my against my neck <laughs> because she was going, no, nah, not going back, not going back. Yeah. My twin boys came running up, no, we don't want to go back. Um, I think they held a bit of a grudge against New Zealand Rugby Union, but I didn't. Yeah. And I knew deep down that I, I needed to come back. I needed to prove that I could do it, that I had the resilience to face it all again and that I could be successful at that level. It took a while, um, but I learned to be an optimist. Um, I wouldn't say I was already an optimist, but I learned optimism. I learned to dispute that I could do something. Um, I had that attitude that every dog has its day. Um, my day is going to be next week, and that's how I lived my life. So I think that really helped um, at being able to cope with the losses, um, but also cope with the wins. You know, it's well, the same thing in many ways. So um, what you got to do is get on with it again on Monday. Yeah, your nickname's the Professor, um, which is a reference to um, the deep thinking that you do about the game and has that helped over the years being a bit philosophical being able to when you need to intellectualize um the game and the results move on understand the importance of things like optimism um and and kind of think your way through it yeah um i laugh at the at the term professor because i think initially like when i came so I learned how to coach in Italy, really. I was a player coach in Italy at the end of my all-black career. And I learned differently to everyone else. I was in a situation where I'd, I couldn't speak the language initially. Um, so, And I had this feeling from having come from playing, I had this um, idea that players would rise to a challenge if it was their challenge, but wouldn't necessarily rise to the coach's challenge. So I wanted to create... Um, that empowerment of the players, that guided discovery. But without speaking the language at that time, it was difficult. So I started asking questions and I'd ask, what did you, what did you do? That's pretty one, pretty easy one to answer, isn't it? What did you do? Oh, I passed the ball. What did you see that made you do that? Um, oh, the winger came in, so I passed it. You know, and, and so it did two things. I think it created self-awareness in the players and that the thoughts stuck there rather than instruction. You know, you're told something that often goes in one ear, one ear and out the other. So I did that, I'm pretty sure, and secondly, I started to learn the language. So it was really helping me, and it empowered the players. And I also, um, I had an influence over there from some French coaches who were coaching in Italy. Pierre Vulpre was one who's pretty famous in New Zealand from the French tour in 65, I think, right. to New Zealand. Um, and he used more global methodology than we had in New Zealand. We were very analytical. You know, you put your foot here, your hand there. This is how you pass. This is how you make yeah. contact. Was he, he used a game sense type training where you played games, you, you changed the width of the field or the numbers of players to, to, to sort of paint some pictures. And say you wanted the players to penetrate strong defences, you had more defenders than attackers. Or if you wanted attackers to try and beat a weak defence out wide, uh, took some defenders out. And so I learnt that way of, of coaching and I loved it. And then, But when I came back to New Zealand, 
and got the job with Crusaders in 97, it was just so different to what the players expected or wanted at the time. Yeah. That yeah, it, be, it became a bit difficult, you know, so I'd ask questions and I'd just get, just tell us the answer, Smitty. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you the answer. I want you to, I want you to understand. Haven't you guys oh, heard of the Socratic method? <laughs> well, I call it query theory now, but in those days, oh, that's good. You know, I, yeah. think pu- I don't think the public really warmed to my coaching initially down in Canterbury um, because of that. It was different. You know, we, we played a lot of, a lot of games at training, um, simulated the game. Uh, Looked like it was going well in 97, and then in 98, we were last after five rounds, and I even started questioning it myself. And then for some reason, I still don't really know why, a lot of factors, I think, but we started started winning. We beat the Blues that year at Eden Park in the final and, and won again the following year. And so for me, it, it basically reinforced that, yeah, this is, this is a way to train that can be or a way to coach that can be um, successful and I guess for the players as well they started to accept that this is what it's going to be. I'm talking to Wayne so, Smith yeah so for people who have just tuned in I'm talking to uh, Wayne Smith coach of the All Blacks and the Crusaders and um, the Black Ferns among others. Who do you support in Super Rugby? Well um, yeah it's a tough it's a toughie I support Crusaders if they aren't playing Chiefs mm. And I support Chiefs if they're playing Crusaders. Um, I was lucky enough to win a couple of titles with both of them. Um, when they play each other, yeah, I'm just happy for whoever wins that game. <laughs> I sit on the fence. The only difference is a bit of a bit of gold in the Chiefs jersey. Otherwise, it's red and black, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Born in Putaruru, University of Waikato, and I think you might have played for Waikato if they'd uh, if they'd if they'd let you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. No, um, my dream coming out of school was to play seniors for Butaru Athletic. Actually, we had two clubs, Athletic and Maris. So I did that. I travelled back from university a couple of times a week with a car full of mates, and we we played for a home club. Um, I made a bit of progress. Like I, I was um, in the under 18s, Waikato secondary schools, Waikato under 21s. I made Waikato B, um, and then. In 1978, I was finishing an honours in social science and I was, I was ready to play, you know, like I wasn't a finished product, but I was ready to, I felt I was ready to play and, and step up a bit. But um, I got a message from my, I think it was under 21 coach at the time that the Waikato coach said I wouldn't be a first five as long as my ass pointed downwards. And <laughs> like he was probably right at the time. Hmm. Uh, but it was an important coaching lesson for me that you can look at someone on the outside. If you looked at me on the outside, I was 74 kilos. I didn't look like a rugby player. Um, I was playing for Pataru. Um, yeah, it would be difficult to see, uh, you know, a provincial player inside that body. But um, I think he underestimated what I had on the inside. Mm. And it's something that that I've always, always taken forward. I, I never measure people on the outside. I always try them first to have a look at what they've actually got beating inside them and um, yeah it's it served me well so yeah so after I after I finished my degree I I wanted to become a school teacher so I decided not to go to Waikato Teachers College and I drove my ER Valiant down to Christchurch 
enrolled in, in Christchurch Teachers College, found a club that didn't have many backs, so I thought I could make that club. That was Belfast. And um, I've only had two clubs in my life, really, and that's Patauru and Belfast. Love them both. And from there, um, so that was early 79. So the end of 78 was when I was told I was never going to be a, be a first five. So, um, And by the end of 79, I'd played a whole season for Canterbury and I was a non-travelling reserve for the All Blacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how does like, how does that happen? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of luck involved in that. And that's a different story. Um, you need a lot of breaks and you need things to go your way. Sometimes they do. And that's what happened to me. We're short on time, as I predicted we would be. I've got a couple of things I want to ask you. When the French beat us, why do they beat us? Um, like beating us twice in pinnacle events, 99 World Cup, 2007 World Cup. Both times we led into those games with massive wins against France. So in 99, Athletic Park, we put 50 points on them, I think. Yeah. Um, then got a World Cup and playing them, there's always that psychological edge, you know, for them it's, um, they're really up, huge edge to play us, um, embarrassed at their last win, so they'll, they'll die for the cause. On the other hand, you as a team, having one like that, um, regardless of how much you work on it, um, sometimes it settles in the back of your mind that we've beaten them before, we've given them a hiding, um, we'll do it again, and um, 2007, we put 63 points on them, I think, at um, in Wellington, maybe three and a half months before that yeah. quarterfinal at the World Cup. So, look, I don't know what that part that played, but um, I just what I remember graphically about 2007 was they a third of their team ran out in red t-shirts, a third in blue t-shirts, a third in white t-shirts, and they lined up like the French flag. They challenged the, the hacker by stepping over the halfway line, which is now illegal. Um, but they were they were warriors that day, and they were hugely up for it. I'm not saying we went up for it. We were up for it, but they had that edge. And it was a huge lesson for us. And I think winning in 211 and 215 came from learning those lessons. So whilst it was a hell of a painful, um, in the end, I think it was a determinator of us winning a couple of World Cups in a row. So 2007, uh, we've talked about last year, and just with about a minute left to go, um, your memories from 2011, which we haven't covered at all, but uh, I imagine that was its own sweet victory. Yes. Um, what sorry, sorry I said 2011 and 2015 is what I'm asking about. Yeah, sorry, oh, yeah. I got those mixed oh, up. 2015, yeah. Yeah, so 2015 was outstanding because we'd learnt the lessons about France and we beat them, what, 63-12 or something in that quarterfinal and that, that um, put us on target, I think. Um, Springboks were tough in the, in the semi-final. We only won by a point or so. I played really well against Australia to win the World Cup. We had, a great, we had probably the greatest team in history, though, Jesse. Like we had five cent- cent- centurions in that team, some of the greatest players ever put on an all-black jersey. So um, we needed to win to validate that. Hey, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. I'm really keen to do a, um, a sporting history on that game of the century, the 1985 Ranfurly 
Auckland-Canterbury game, but I didn't want to start talking about that because, you know, I reckon that's probably worth half an hour in its own right. So maybe we could chat about that at some stage, Wayne. But for now, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Jesse, I think that 85 run would have caused me nightmares, so I'll sleep better tonight. <laughs> you scored a try at least. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, it still, still hurts me. Okay, thanks, Jesse. See you. Yeah, Wayne Smith, and uh, that's the latest in our series on New Zealand sporting history.